All right. Hey, now, Rob here, Rob School of Music. We are hanging out on a special Thursday session with Mr. Mark Holcomb from Periphery Haunted Shores. Overall, just sick guitar player, a PRS uh, friend, and just just a man amongst men. Hello and welcome. Thanks for having me, man. It's a, it's a pleasure. We've been trying to pull this off. Just so everybody knows, we've been trying to pull this off for a minute. Uh, and by a minute, I mean, what, eight months or something like that? It's just be- between my schedule and I know your, your, your slate of guests and, and, and the work that you do. It's just been, it's been some work to get this thing lined up. But uh, I'm happy to be here, man. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, dude. Like, you know, well worth the wait in every way. I've really been, you know, excited for this. And um, I just think it's going to be awesome. So thank you for your time in advance. And uh, I guess I'll start it off with with the kind of the first question I ask everyone. And it doesn't really matter the instrument. Um, just as a musician, what what happened in your world? Was there a particular record or a show or something you saw where you're like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a musician. Yeah, uh, for me, it was, um, oh man, what was the year? Okay, the first Foo Fighters record, the one with the gun on it, right? Like, I think it was a self-titled album. Mm-hmm. Um, MTV had Foo Fighters basically perform that record front to back, I think, and they televised it back when MTV had actual music on their channel, like good music. And that, I forget what venue, some big venue in New York, but basically... They played the whole record front to back and Dave Grohl had a Gibson Explorer and he just, he looked so badass and it wasn't metal, but still he had this sort of aura and presence and just confidence about him. Like just handling the crowd, killing the songs, saying great. Just, he was looking like he was having the time of his life and he just looked powerful. And I was a, you know, I was a little, pimple faced 12 13 year old kid at the time insecure needed something to latch on to you know got bullied at school all that shit like all 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 of the you know stereotypical dazed and confused nerd kind of cliches that was me um and i saw that and i was just like i was entranced and i wasn't even a fan of music you know i i i liked nintendo 64 that was like all I liked when I was a kid. And I liked a little bit of sports, but I had torn ligaments in my, in my knee um, leading up to that. So it's like I was immobilized from that. Um, I couldn't play basketball. And um, I saw that and I was just like, I want to learn guitar. I have to, I have to learn how to play guitar. Uh, never thinking that I could like be that, but I was just like, this looked like so much fun. And I took a lesson like I think weeks later in the fall of 1995. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I always look back to that moment as just when I fell in love with the actual physical act of playing guitar and being on stage and, and what that could transform you into, you know, like, and looking back on it, it's like Dave Grohl was always behind the scenes in Nirvana and he was never sort of front and center in the limelight, but, uh, Jesus, he looked like a completely different person with a guitar in his hands, just handling a whole big venue like that. So, so yeah, that that was probably the the sort of initial spark before I went down the full metal hole, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that that Foo Fighters record because I have a distinct memory when that first came out. Also, like I'm, I'll be thirty nine this year, so like middle school, oh. seventh grade, I think is when that record was for me, and um, music was just coming in. I remember when Kurt 
you know, I remember when Nirvana ended. I remember all of that. I remember Kurt Cobain, you know, taking his life, but I was young. Like it didn't sh yep. shake me, but I remember the feeling of, well, this guy was in Nirvana. Let's pay attention. Mm -hmm. And a uh, similar thing, like he is just such an animal, like front guy up there killing yeah. it. And just the showmanship of it all. I totally understand that. I mean, um, I think the visual component of listening to music in a live forum is almost as important as as what you're hearing because it's just it it just hits you from every angle. If someone's having a good time on stage, you're gonna have a good time watching it. Usually, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 palpable, and that's something I've learned even in recent years uh, performing with Periphery. I mean, tours get long, tours can be arduous, they can be very difficult for many different reasons, and at the end of the day, you know you're up there because you love doing it. Even if it's week six of a European tour in the middle of winter, mm. you got to get up there and you have to play it. Like it's your first show. You have to enjoy every single moment up there as if it was your first time doing it. Otherwise it comes across in a very negative. And I've seen bands before where I'm like, Jesus Christ, like I paid 55 bucks to see this show and they, they look like they hate each other up there, which they probably do. <laughs> um, but there are bands out there who, who I know just an example literally do hate each other but they get up there and everything goes out the window it's just like they're 18 year olds in a garage for the first time so that's that's always been a big part of my approach and i think i still go back to that moment as an example of how to just how to let everything go and have have fun doing what you're doing up on stage every night well that actually brings me into the next thing i wanted to ask um almost perfectly thank you just just set me up. I like it. Um, a lot of the students here, you know, we're a music school. I didn't say that in the beginning for anyone who's going to watch this. We have a physical location uh, about 40 minutes outside of Manhattan in New York, and we do virtual lessons all around. And a lot of our students come on board um, towards the beginning of their musical journey, younger as a musician, not an age, but just as a musician. And a big thing we do, you know, uh, pre all this stuff. And then currently now, finally, again, is we put them in, in groups and we let them perform publicly and stage fright and nerves just beat oh. the shit out of them and i'm always curious you know you've played epic stages epic tours and there's so many things with your show and everything with the lights and the patch changes and the, the technical prowess to perform that music how do you handle all of the pressure that's, that's something i don't talk about a lot um yeah i'm really happy to talk about the subject actually um it's something that i always dreaded when i was learning guitar in the late 90s like and I, and I aspired to be in a band. I really wanted to be in a band. But then I thought to myself, I'm like, how am I going to muster up the courage to play a show when I can't even get in front of my history class with like 18 people and talk about the Civil War without pissing my pants, you know? Um, it's a real thing. Like public speaking for me was not something that ever came naturally. Uh, and on top of that, like I'm, I'm a pretty private person. Like I would choose, you know, I, I, if I were to choose any other job in the public sector aside from music it probably wouldn't involve public speaking in any way um the thing with being on stage and having the courage to prepare for it i always look at it as preparing for a presentation right like if you're going to go in front of your history class and talk about the civil war if you're well read and well prepared and you have everything mapped out in your head because you've spent hours and hours and hours not cramming but learning over time and making it so everything is second nature as opposed to something which you have to actively call back and forth from in your head, 
thing is going to be way more effortless. And when it comes time for you to get up and do your thing in the moment for real, it's going to feel like less of a battle if all of your moves, all of your go-tos are already mapped out and they already feel like second nature. So for me, getting over stage fright is it's tied 1000% to the amount of preparation and homework I do before I go into it, which is why, I mean, look, I, I know a lot of people who sort of get off on improvisation. You know, these guys who can get up there and just let it rip, improvise in front of a thousand people. And that's their wheelhouse. That's not my wheelhouse, nor is it, nor is it really the, the comfort zone of any of my bandmates. That's except for maybe Matt, our drummer, Matt likes to go off and play all kinds of different stuff over our music every night. And that's awesome. But that's never been me. I've, I've always been sort of more focused on the songs and what I'm performing as opposed to, you know, what solo can I invent over the section every night? <laughs> um, but because of that, I can sort of hone in on exactly what I need to do, what I need to know weeks, months before a tour, you know? And by the time the show comes up, and I have the butterflies, which are inherent. You know, it's normal to have butterflies. It's normal to feel a little bit of like, oh my gosh, like today's the show. Oh my God, we got to go on stage in half an hour. It's normal to feel that. So that's one thing that I want to dispel for anybody who feels insecure about getting up on stage and is somewhat timid of being on stage. Um, butterflies are normal. The more preparation, the more comfortable you can do, be in advance, the less you have to actually worry about getting over or sorry about you know fucking up a part i will say this though i've beaten myself up way too hard over the years for messing up on stage for messing up a guitar riff and that can be your own worst enemy it can get you up here mm -hmm. you know it can it can get you stuck in your head you mess up once or you blow a solo and some people let it linger in their system for weeks and months and sometimes years and it can really deter you from from getting back up on stage. It's like a comedian bombing, you know? Um, when comedians bomb, they tend to never try it again. And the best ones, I've always heard, the best stand-up comedians are the ones who can bomb, who can just train wreck. And then next week be like, yep, yeah, let me do it again. Yeah. It's like, I, that's insane to me. But it takes a different type of person to do that for a living. With music, I feel like it's a, it's a little bit less magnitude. Um, but uh, it's the same kind of principle. It's just letting... The negative stuff bounce off of you in a live setting if you happen to not perform up to par i love that i love all of that man because i always tell the the bit of advice i give the students as they're performing and something i've kind of taught myself along the way is the show's already happened like if you're mm -hmm. prepped and you're ready and you know your shit, then it's going to be what it's going to be so mm -hmm. do the yep. homework and be ready and then you just can kind of offload all that stress and just go on autopilot because you know what you're doing so. Exactly. Yeah. And there's like, like I said, the butterflies is real. Um, mm -hmm. I still have little things here and there. Like I'll get nervous sometimes and, and I still have sort of coping mechanisms like, you know, deep breathing exercises. Uh, meditation is something that I've relied on uh, as of late. Um, some people like to have a drink or two. I, I wouldn't really recommend mm -hmm. that because that'll, <laughs> that's not a reliable way to cancel out uh, nerves. So I don't subscribe to that, but I know a lot of old school guys who do. Um, but for me, it's, it's just, um, like you said, it's, it's just laying the foundation. It's just the homework, you know, be as well prepared as you can. And if it doesn't go as well as it could have, you really couldn't have done anything more, you know, mm -hmm. at, at least if you get up there and mess up, it's like, well, I couldn't have done anything more. What's worst. What's the absolute worst is if you fail to prepare 
and you get up and you train wreck and you know whose own fault you, you know it's your own fault you yep. have no one else to blame so um i try my best to avoid that situation whenever i can totally man that yeah i completely that so much value in that entire story so thank you uh let's get into music and some musical things um i obviously want to dig into the new singles and the new record and all that stuff void coming out on march 11th correct yeah uh, only fangs shreds blew my face right off i had to reassemble it before we sat down today so excuse the disfigurement um um your playing is so solid and technical and 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 live on the recording so consistent um what's your practice routine like how did it get what did you what have you learned along the way what are some things that you do every time things that you used to do don't do like what goes into becoming mark i'll start with the negative just that's how i always evaluate myself as a player <laughs> um the negative side is that i don't practice enough so that's that's one thing that like i used to be really good at in my early years of playing now my practice is always tied to the creative process um like, so when I'm writing, I'm usually tracking as I write. So like I'm writing in front of a computer, I'm writing in, in front of a click track and a program drum beat. Um, and I found that for me, at least in the last 10, 12 years, my playing has really gone up several levels because I'm able to hear myself under a microscope, which is in the studio, you know, in, in front of good monitors and in front of a, a DAW, you know, um, being able to hear, oh, wow, I tracked it way tighter on the left side than I tracked it on the right side. Mm. What am I doing differently? You know, can I track it to a point where I can get it sounding like one guitar, you know, two sides of guitar sounding solid together. And that takes work. I, I, I feel like people who don't record themselves underestimate how hard it is to play tight right on the click or a little bit behind. If you want to have a little bit of pocket, um, it's it's not something that you can teach to somebody without just giving them the tools you know like leaving a guitarist alone in the room with a computer and saying hey churn out this section with tight track guitars left and right see how long it takes you it's tough um, mm -hmm. and you have to be able to practice to get better at it um so i feel like every step i've sort of climbed in the past 10 12 years is because i've recorded myself um and in the early days, and, and I feel like this is what sort of made me fall in love with guitar, but maybe from 95 until 2005, my way of practicing guitar was just to always have it in my hands, you know, just to always have it in my hands, whether I'm watching sports on TV or whether I'm watching somebody else play a video game or something like that. I'm just, I always have my hand doing something on the fretboard. It's just, just to have it there, you know, just to have it so I know what it feels like. I can get comfortable with the feeling of the neck. And if my right hand is doing something else, maybe checking my phone, my left hand will be on a guitar. It's always in my hand, just so it's I have this sense of familiarity with it. And uh, that's something that I still do. But I remember spending a lot of time just with an electric guitar. I think I had an Epiphone Les Paul back in the day, but just not even plugged in. You know, just my whole family sitting around watching a movie and I have it in my hands, just just noodling. I can't hear myself just practicing moves just getting the 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 time in you know and i i feel like that's something i've gotten a little bit worse at over the years is making sure i dedicate the proper amount of time to to guitar but uh but again i think it's just evolved due to the nature mm -hmm. of 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 periphery and, and, and my career over the past 10 years it's like i have less amount of time to work off of during the day and um you know 
the creative side is is something that's near and dear to my heart. So I I, I almost have to um, I almost have to put more of my time into being creative these days. You know, mm -hmm. totally. You know, it's interesting you say with the holding the guitar because coming up, I used to do that too. I drive yeah. my family crazy because they're like, you know, why is your guitar everywhere? I'm like, I don't know. I love it. I love it. I love it. I like I'm sitting like I I'm sitting in a room. Let me see if I can pan out so you can see what the hell's going on in here. I mean, it's just there's an absurd amount oh, of guitars yeah. in here because I just love guitars. Yeah. And um, I tell my students, like, if I give you homework um, and it's, you know, say work on uh, this lick or whatever it is. And over the course of the week between lessons, maybe you do 10 other things, but you didn't do what I told you to do. Yeah, I'm yeah. a little bit bummed, but you're bonding with the instrument because whenever mm -hmm. it's in your hands, you're learning. Oh, well, well, there's another E over here. I didn't know there was another E over here that, you know, yeah. it just it's so yeah. I completely understand all of that. Yeah. Bond bonding, bonding with the guitar is probably the, mo the most important thing, because I, I remember one of the big roadblocks for a lot of my peers when I was a teenager was. Like my, my buddy would learn guitar and he'd be like, yeah, you know, I tried learning this Metallica solo, but I couldn't do it. So, you know, what? like, ah, it just sucks. Guitar sucks. And then they would just never play again, you know? And, and it's to me, the gap between me and some of those kinds of friends was I, this sense of attachment to it. You know, this, this level of bonding, I almost said bondage. Um, yeah. But well, that too. <laughs> that's something different. <laughs> <laughs> um, bonding with the instrument that that never left me despite how frustrated i would get if i was trying to learn an ingve section or a marty friedman mm -hmm. you know solo or something like that is yeah i'm not good enough for this but you know what i still love this freaking instrument i can always just play a foo fighter song you know i can always just play a freaking ramon song on it and fall in love with it all over again totally yeah totally so you mentioned the creative part of it so obviously um i really want to go into what you know, you guys periphery, you put out records, you tour the cycle, uh, and then, you know, everyone kind of has their own little side things they're doing and different combinations of members, which I love because it's like periphery is like the, the tree. And then there's like different branches where you guys yep. kind of go into li these little niche things that are just like a little different than, uh, um, when you're creating stuff creatively, do you start off saying, well, this is going to be a periphery riff, or this is going to be something different. Like what is the process there? I think priority always goes to periphery. Um, and that's, that always has to be at the front of our minds. Like when I come up with a riff that I'm like stoked on when I'm, when I say to myself, yeah, this is killer. My mind always goes to periphery first. But then if I have the realization be like, ah, oh, you know what? It's too fast or, or there's no room for vocals. Then my mind starts going to other places. Like maybe it'll work for haunted shores or fall in some other kind of category. But, um, going back to what you're saying about the tree and the branch analogy, that's, completely correct i mean without periphery i'm not sure anybody would care about our side projects i'm not sure anybody would care about anything that we do frankly between all the other work we do on the side of periphery so that's the big one that's 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 what sort of we have to keep at the front and center of our lives um and in the creative process when i say that periphery takes priority you know for example there was a haunted shore song that I was working on last year. It's kind of like the slow, dreamy, um, RPG sounding, just, I, don't know, I really love the song. And um, I brought it to Misha and he and I fleshed it out together. And one of our other band members heard it in the band Dropbox. He was like, hey, what is this? I think it was our drummer, Matt. He's like, what is this? What is this for periphery? And I was like, no, it's actually a Haunted Shore song. Um, or it was gonna be one. And 
he was like, what if we use it for periphery? What if we change some things here and there? And we showed it to our singer Spencer and he loved it. Uh, and it was like, okay, maybe we change it. Maybe, maybe we have like peripherize this, so to speak. And, uh, and we did, and you know, it's, it's going to be on the next periphery record. So it, it just, it just takes priority over everything. And, uh, everything needs to shift around in order to mold to periphery because that is the sort of original passion project, you know, like you can describe Haunted Shores as a passion project with periphery being the sort of, you know, thing that resides over it. But ultimately at the end, end of the day, periphery reigns, you know, yeah, that makes sense. How do you, cause all you guys live in different States, right? Like you're not in the same state. I don't think any of you to my knowledge. So like, how does the writing happen? Is it you put the riff in a Dropbox and then Jake grabs it or Misha grabs it or, or like what is? Yeah, that's a good question. It it used to be like that. It used to be purely remote. Ironically, we lived we, we lived in Washington D.C. at the same time, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was weird. Like we just didn't meet up to write music in the same room very often. We would email ideas back and forth. We would write ideas and then put them in the Dropbox. Now. We do a little bit of that. So I'll write ideas, put them in the Dropbox. And then, you know, the guys will chime in and say whether they like it or not. Misha will do the same. Jake will do the same. Spencer will do the same. Um, and we'll get together in one place when it comes time to write and then work on that idea or whatever mirrored ideas in person in the same room. And that's when the real sort of periphery writing process begins. I, I would say that that's when it begins in earnest, you know, all the preparation is done on our own. We'll write riffs on our own and we'll see, you know, we'll get the basis for something. But then as soon as we get to get together, that's when the real ideas start flying. That's when things start, start getting put together. We start writing riffs from scratch in the same room. Um, yeah, that's truly the sort of beginning for, for us. Has it ever occurred where one of you guys will come up with a riff, but then find that someone else is executing it in a more i don't want to say better that's the wrong word but like i don't know better <laughs> i guess yeah. no i'm dude <laughs> i can't even begin to tell you the process and the journey we've been on you know as far as learning how to deal with the phenomenon you're talking about where okay hypothetical which may or may not be based in in reality um i come up with a riff that i'm super proud of and I meet up with the guys and I track it after one of Jake's riffs just to see if it'll fit. And I love it. And I think it fits perfectly. And the other guys are like, man, there's still something off about it. Maybe we could try Misha's riff here. I mean, we could try another one of Jake's riffs here. And then it fits better according to them. But to me, I'm sitting there like, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> and you're sort of at a crossroads. You can acquiesce and you can come, come at it diplomatically and from an angle of trust in my bandmates and say that, you know what, this is a band. This is not about me. This is not the Mark Holcomb project. This is periphery. Or you can have all this resentment and, you know, sort of hang your head and be like, yeah, sure. Fucking whatever you guys want. Or, you know, or, or put your foot down. That's a third option. Put your foot down and say, you know what? No, I'm not going for it. And I've been to all three of those places as have we all in the bands and uh those are poisonous paths uh in a work environment and you know i get it if you're ingve momstein or if you're devin townsend or if it's a solo project anything that you say 
goes. And that's kind of the nature of those kinds of projects. It's the beauty of a solo project. With the bands, it has to be about everybody involved, especially if everything, you know, top to bottom, politically, financially, uh, creatively, everything is split evenly amongst five people in this band. So if that scenario happens, there needs to be a sense of self-awareness and a discipline that enables you to step back and say, okay, I'm really stoked on my idea, but it's not about me right now. It's not about me. It's about a team. It's almost like a sport. You know, it's almost mm -hmm. like being part of a hockey, basketball, baseball, football team. You know, um, it's not about the me in this right now. I'm part of a unit. I'm part of a group. I had to have trust in my teammates, in in my colleagues um, to go the right way collectively, not just what I think is right. And and to be able to handle it with grace, you know, and and, um, and just class. That's something it's that's taken us a long time to learn how to do professionally and functionally. Um, because when you pull that off, when you're able to sort of sacrifice what you think is good in order to do what's best for everybody collectively, that's when the real emotional investment begins. And once you settle on that, you're like, oh my gosh, this is my family. You know, this, this, is, this is where I belong because I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who know how to be this way. It's, it's a really, really awesome feeling. And in any workplace, if you, if you happen to find this balance, no matter what you do, it's a magical feeling when you're surrounded by people who can leave their egos at the door. I think also like hearing stories like that, you know, as a fan and as a musician and, you know, anyone listening who's in bands, like three guitar players is, is a lot of guitar. Yeah. And I think yeah. being able to hear you explain it like that is so inspiring to anyone who's putting together any kind of multi-instrument project or band, because that's obviously the way to make it work. Nothing else is going to work. You just got to be cool and and with grace i just i love that awesome yeah it, it's it's a prerequisite really and i would I, I would urge any of you out there if you're in bands and you're having trouble with personnel who like oh this guy always does does that thing where he gets upset and he storms off at practice and he's and he's and he's just grumbling and griping about nobody liking his ideas then maybe have a second thought about whether that person's right for your family because uh, to me up there with talent and up there with creativity, you have to have that in in, in your workplace. Don't forget band. Band is band is just some, you know, a, a form of a workplace. But like any workplace, you have to have those kinds of people on board. Unless you're a dictatorship, unless you're you know Vladimir Putin or <laughs> or, <laughs> or or whatever project, the solo project. You know, then you don't have to, um, you know, sacrifice anything for anybody. Yep. Yep. Um, so let's go into the, the new record, man. Like what, when, when did the writing start? Like, how does it, so once you have a batch of songs that you're like, these are not periphery songs, these will be haunted your songs. Like, do you then hang with Misha and put it together? Um, you know, two singles are out. Like what, what is walk us through the whole thing? Pretend, you know, no one yeah. knows anything. So I guess everything starts with periphery, man, because, and this is why seven years it took seven years to do another haunted shores record because yeah, that's what i'm saying like it's yeah it's, why now yeah. awesomely now but why now um yeah i mean the pandemic slowed everything down obviously we we canceled all of our tours on the periphery side and from the very beginning there were discussions about let's do another periphery record let's do it let's everybody let's mobilize let's begin writing let's start planning writing and recording trips together um and once that once it became apparent that that process was going to move a lot slower 
because we all live so far from each other and there were travel travel restrictions because of covid uh and everything i i, I kind of pivoted mentally and i was like okay i'm gonna write for periphery but i'm also gonna write for Han shores and then i just began sort of going down this rabbit hole on my own here in austin um texas just kind of paying homage to old black metal and old death metal records and old thrash records that I loved that I knew I knew was not for periphery, right? Like, cause that's periphery is not a thrash metal band. Periphery is not a death metal band. It's not a black metal band. And I want to do something like that. Um, and I just began writing like crazy, like just, just writing from nine to five, you know, treating wow. it like a day job here at home, you know, just wake up, have coffee and breakfast, um, and then write all day, take a, take a lunch break, quit before dinner. Um, and I would do that for weeks and it got to a point where I had, you know, the basis of a record. I didn't, I didn't have a full record. I had, you know, the foundation of it. And then I, uh, I met up with Misha and I took, I want to say three trips out there for writing. And, uh, and he and I, he and I just sort of finished up the songs one by one. And, uh, he and I have a very very natural sort of um musical relationship together we're almost like you know guitar siblings like we, we kind of just know we know how this needs to sound we know how we want it to come across and we know exactly what each other are going for in any given moment with haunted shores and periphery and um with haunted shores it was almost like this all right we know we're not playing these songs live ever it's not going to ever tour let's make it as crazy and just brutal and extreme as possible <laughs> and have fun with it and, and, and not make this a ton of work, make it this like free for all, just whatever it wants to be. And, 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 and that's what Hunter Shores was. It was a really nice um, sort of freeing outlet from what periphery is because periphery is a much more difficult thing to write for. You know, there's five, very vocal producer minds in the band right and to get anything done even to write one riff and have it be the riff in the song is it's going to take time you need to pass all these these uh these levels of checks and balances to make it so with haunted shores it's just this much more direct and easier process and a, and a quicker process if i'm honest that makes sense though and that's kind of cool yeah. because if it's going to be something stepping outside mm -hmm. it should be fun right they gotta be fun. all the yeah yeah so what uh like i said only fangs is just absurd um any specifics to putting that one together only fangs that was one where i said okay i think i forget i think the bpm is like 230 or 240 or something like that something stupid i don't know pardon me if i'm wrong but um i just set the bpm in cubase and i programmed a bunch of thrash beats blast beats and death metal, just crazy nonsense um um, thrash beats and uh, I was like all right I'm gonna experiment in writing little bits of a riff at a time because historically the way I've always written is like I'll just have an amp and a guitar and I'll write and and if I come up with something that sounds cool I'll record it on my phone you know and I'll save it for when I'm in front of a computer but with that song and most of this record it was composed in in Cubase so like a lot of the notier riffs I think like the first verse in only fangs or both verses actually um, it was written like a measure or two at a time. So I'm going to put this move that I like at the beginning of this riff um, and see what it sounds like over a thrash beat. And I was like, all right, that sounds cool. I'm going to see if I can add on to it. 
And then I just tried some other moves to complement that first move to see where it took it. And I find that you get a really different result when you write that way because you'll do that for maybe four or five more times and then you're at an even 16 bars. And then you go back and you press play at the beginning of that bar one. And you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, <laughs> what is this? It doesn't sound human. Uh, and you sit down and you try to play it. And it's tough, but it's playable, right? Um, it just features all these moves back to back that you would never think of sitting there organically playing and stumble upon. Like you don't stumble across those just jamming on an acoustic. You don't stumble upon these just noodling, you know? And uh, I feel like that accounts for a lot of the sort of frenetic nature of of those riffs, especially in only things. And um, I had a half that song written and I had this other half that I brought to Misha and Misha was like, why don't we try changing it into something a little bit more ominous and like big and epic. And th the way the song evolves, it goes in that massive sort of groove section in the middle. And then it goes in this big old grimy outro. And that was a lot of actually Misha's idea. It's like this song needs to take you on a bit of a journey and have more dynamics as opposed to being this sort of like one note, um, you know, death metal riff, that, riff fest, you know? So um, so he again, he's he's sort of a master of um, of arrangement and, uh, and, and knowing how to um, just add dynamics to an arrangement, add dynamics to a song. So it's not just a riff salad. So it's not just look at me how fast I can play, you know, it's, it's, uh, it actually speaks. It, it actually takes you places. Um, and I've actually learned a lot from him over the years, as far as learning how to piece together an arrangement. So it flows organically and there's no point that's ever jarring. You know, it just feels like a natural sentence as opposed to a bunch of words strung together. I think I've never heard of someone putting a song together by the specific moves in each section. I think that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. I mean, you they all have to be, yeah, they all have to be in the same key and all that. Like there's, there's, you know, you stick to uh, guidelines that you outline for yourself, but like, it's a really fun way to write. And I learned that from Misha, actually. He was the one who, who told me that that's what he did for a lot of his really notier songs back in the day. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it's funny because if you're listening to this or watching this and you give it a shot at home, just see it through. Even if you think it sucks, just see it through and see what happens. And you, you'd be surprised at how it can change your creative voice. Even if you don't like it as much as your natural writing voice, just see what the results are like. And I guarantee you, you'd be kind of surprised at yourself. I'm going to try it, man. I'm going to try, try it. We're going we're, we're to have a crazy snow day here tomorrow. So I'm going to be at home and I'll just, that's that. I'm going to definitely give that a go. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good excuse to hold up and try it. Let me know. Let me know how it goes. I'd be curious, curious to see how it went. Definitely. I'll send it over to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, all right. So I'm going to pause on music for a second because this is something that I always run out of time for. And I just kind of want to, you know, a lot of people who know musicians, they, they know us as musicians, they know the guitars and just gigs and touring and everything else. And I think it's always so fascinating to kind of, what else are you into? You know, like for me, like I like watches, right? I like watches, I really? like watches. I nerd out on watches like crazy. Um, really? But like, that's just not something that's, you know, aside from what's on my wrist, you wouldn't know how nerdy I can get into that. So like, have you talked to Misha about watches yet? I've, so I've, I've I'm talking to you, talked to Jake, I've talked to Matt. I, Misha, I, I met him at Nam casually, but he was yeah. super busy at the uh, talking about because when the uh, delay pedal was coming out. So I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm not going to bug him about that, but I would love to nerd out on watches with him too. But what's Dude. your thing, man? What is like uh, outside of this? 
um, serial killer documentaries. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, oh, man, these days, it just depends. Okay, first of all, I'm like an avid, avid, avid sports nut. Like, avid. I, all I do, like, if I'm washing dishes in my house or folding laundry or cleaning or doing whatever, I always have a sports podcast in. Always. Cool. So my wife doesn't even try to talk to me. She knows I'm like dorking out on basketball. She knows I'm dorking out on football or something. Um, and that's that's something I truly, truly, truly give a shit about. And again, so many analogs between being in a band and being part of a team. Like mm -hmm. to me, it just goes hand in hand. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, and uh, I love video games. I'm a big video game dork. Uh, huge into that. The past couple of years... I've gotten into sort of like mindfulness and meditation and it's a big part of my life as far as maintenance. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, uh, I've never been like sort of big into um, sort of spirituality um, my whole life, but uh, just having a way to sort of distance myself from stimulus, from, from, from things in front of me that could be distracting, having the ability to pull the curtain back and just be like, okay, the only thing I have control over is my mind is my decision-making and just knowing that that's there, knowing that if I get too stressed out, knowing that if like I start worrying about things that I can't control, which is a totally normal thing, yelling in traffic, yelling at how cold it is, being pissed off at, you know, the state of the world, all that stuff. None of us can control any of that. And I've always kind of struggled with it, you know? Um, and finding a way to sort of harness that and identify it and then take steps to rectify it um, and, and find more peace and find more calm in heightened, you know, stress levels. That's been a life changer, man. Um, so just learning how to do that's been a big part of my life the past couple of years. Meditation. I know it sounds woo woo and it sounds really. No, dude, annoying. I get it a hundred percent. I'm on board completely. I love it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Isn't I, it funny when we talk about that stuff, we always build in that like, oh, hippie dippy shit, but like, dude, yeah. be proud of it because it, it's yeah. so important and there's so much clutter and chaos in the world um, and we all deal with various levels of stress. So more power to you, like scream it from the rooftops. It, it works. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a sort of a relic of previous generations, you know, like mm -hmm. speaking ill of meditation, making fun of it or, or, or therapy or any type of like mental health regimen, you know, um, yeah, it's vital. It's, it's vital. Yeah. And I have no shame in talking about it now. Um, and like you, I, I'm going to be 40 in October. So I'm 39 now. So, yeah. you know, things like that, as, as we, you know, get older, I become less of the fun loving <laughs> free spirit and like more <laughs> of a, of a, somebody who cares deeply about, you know, about just maintaining, just maintaining. Yeah. It's just, it's like going to the gym. It's like going to the yep. gym. It's like the same exact thing. If you care a lot about fitness, taking care of your body, um, your brain's, your brain's just as important. I think it's interesting that you said sports at the beginning of that, because for me personally, like music, it's between running the school gigs, writing. Um, I have a band. We put a song out a couple of weeks ago, like trying to get placements, like shit's happening constantly. Music is always in my head. I put on sports talk radio exclusively when I'm driving places because oh. that it's and everyone's like, what song? I'm like, no song. We're going to listen to them <laughs> yell about the Yankees. And that's going to make me feel better about my life. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel the same way. That like, dude, I don't listen to music podcasts really. I I listen to freaking sports radio. I listen to sports podcasts because I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's like an escape ladder or like just getting a perspective on something that's completely out of my realm of existence. But there's mm -hmm. something about it where I don't know. It's just calming to me. I I love it. I love everything about about sports i'm 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 not a big like athlete these days anymore i was when i was younger but um yeah yeah huge sports fan man that's that's cool to hear that yeah i understand that and as soon as you said that i'm like i get it oh i get it <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll go back to gear and stuff so prs guitars i love prs i've been in love with them since i started playing guitar and been lucky enough to have a working relationship with them uh for a little over 10 years at this point I love your signature model. It's actually being used in a lesson right now. Otherwise, I would grab it and whip it out because um, one of my teachers here loves it. And he wants to buy one and blah, blah, blah. But um, their guitars are fantastic. That guitar is fantastic. I think the SE line is the best quality import line of instruments I've played in my life. Yeah. Um, what What was your process in developing that guitar? Um, just in general, you know, I, I've seen you have some like eight string ones and just all kinds of cool stuff like what was that journey like yeah dude yeah check it out before i continue i have the eight right here on the wall this is oh um, no <laughs> yeah. check it out this is a rare 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 bird oh. um, yeah there's not many of these around sorry the light's all crappy in here but um sorry that makes it kind of cooler it's like in the shadows <laughs> yeah so that's the eight sick yeah um i mean uh, they were always local um, to periphery. So periphery is from Washington, D.C. And um, they're out in Stevensville, Maryland. And I remember one time in 2013, I want to say, maybe 2013, they were prototyping the PRS Archon, the, their high-gain amp. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess they had some kind of discussion like, okay, what metal bands can we come out here to like get a second opinion from? And uh, they invited, I think it was just Misha and I that day. Um, and we came out there and we heard the Archon. We were blown away. And I met Paul. I met Paul Reed Smith. Starstruck. You know, I, he was starstruck at me. No, I'm just kidding. I, I was. I was. Uh, <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> uh, I, I was. I was starstruck at him. Uh, and he, he, he just came across as so no frills and down to earth to me. And he wanted to talk gear. He wanted to talk under the hood type of stuff about amps and guitars. He didn't want to talk about touring. He didn't want to talk about, you know, all the things that most, you know, people in his position, I imagine would be interested in talking about. He didn't want to talk about fancy dinners or yachts or mm -hmm. traveling the world. He wanted to talk about what kind of tubes were in this amp and like old compressors and old microphones that he found in reverb. Um, and I just thought that was so cool. And then I met him the following Nam, and uh, he and I had this discussion offhand at a bar. Uh, he was like, "If if if I could build a guitar that satisfied everything you wanted in a guitar, would you be interested in seeing the result of that?" And I was just floored because to me, I, I I hadn't really been officially involved with any other guitar company before that. So to me, in my head, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like. This could be the beginning of something. <laughs> Bless you. Thank um, you. Sorry. There's no way to hide that. <laughs> uh, it's all good. Uh, um, and yeah, I had to say yes. And 
when they got to work on that first prototype, which I still have right there on the wall. Um, you can't see it right there. Cool. That one. That's the very first one built in 2013 or 2014. Um, I, uh, I was just blown away when I got my hands on it the first time. I was like, this is the best guitar. This is the best six string I've ever played. And I played it on every periphery tour after that for a couple of years. Um, and then the rest is kind of history. The rest happened really naturally. And uh, I became officially involved with them. But uh, the SE came about two years later when we released that original six string mm-hmm. um, to the public. And I think it was like four grand or 3,800 bucks or something like that. And people who played it said it was amazing. And I always loved the guitar, obviously. PRS loved it. The thing is, is that it priced a lot of people out. Um, and trust me, when I was growing up, I couldn't afford anything half that expensive, you know? Um, and the idea was basically, how do we get the spirit of that guitar in an SE model? How do we take all the sort of hallmark features of that guitar and put them in, put them in another instrument that doesn't break the banks without really sacrificing anything or sort of punishing uh the guitarist buying the guitar uh and along came the se model and every year we've kind of been iterating on it and 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 you know seeing what we can do better about it and uh yeah it's it's just been an awesome ride with prs and i love i love the company i love how much detail they put into every instrument and i've played other brands before i'm this is going to sound so corny and like i'm a salesman but uh there's just no duds. Like I've never picked up one of the SEs off of a wall and be like, wow, this one plays like shit compared to that one. Um, And that happens sometimes, you know, with with the scale that some of these companies produce their instruments, it happens, but there's just such an admirable amount of detail poured into everything they do. And they run it in such a mom and pop down to earth, familial kind of way. Um, and I think that's something to be admired as well. You know, just this really approachable nature to it, despite the high price tag of some of their instruments. Um, it's just such an approachable, uh, group of people there. And I'll always have love for Paul, you know, Paul and, 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 um, and Bev and Rich and all the, all the people who they just, they're family to me, you know, I do it. I completely like, and just the generosity like for me like when i opened up this school here i reached out to bev and she sent me banners and lanyards and things to give to the students um we just did a giveaway with a paul's guitar se model for christmas like just i have archons and all the lesson rooms like the the newer model ones so like people come here and like you know that we're we're a prs school like i mean it's just unavoidable you know unofficially but yeah man like i i understand it entirely and that's Man, so cool. Just, I had, that's that's oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that they that they uh, that they had that relationship with you. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's you know, I ask questions and and they say no sometimes and they say yes sometimes. <laughs> but it it's just um, you know, when when I first connected with them, I was touring and in a band and things like that. And as that part of my career wound down and the, and the school side of it picked up, there was always this communication line of communication open. Like no matter how less significant or more significant or reach you know grew or shrunk they just always have been someone that you know cares about music and and then you see that you know circling back to what you said the quality like they're just every single guitar feels like a million bucks no matter what price point you're touching it at for real yeah yeah all right dude i'm gonna go to my uh my rapid fire section if you'd like let's let's fire all righty so it's a series of this or that questions um try to 
pick one. I know it's hard because the answer, the answer to all of them is both or yes, but okay. um, just do the best you can. Okay. And uh, it's nothing political or funky, just mostly gear and band related questions. I usually ask a couple, I mean, I, we just, I just praise the crap out of PRS, but I, I some of the questions are going to be contradictory to that, but just play along okay. circumstantially. Okay. okay. Humbucker or single coil pickup? Humbucker. Okay. If you had to choose between a Les Paul style guitar or a Stratocaster style guitar. Strat all day, all day, all day, okay. not even close. Okay. Um, now you're back to this Strat world and a Telly walks in the room. Telly or Strat? Probably Strat. Probably Strat okay. still. Yeah. Okay. That's a tough that's, one. That's it. That's fine. Like I said, the answer is yes <laughs> to everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the Strat walked away, and now a Les Paul and an SG style guitar walked in the room. Which one of those would you go for? SG because of Black Sabbath. Cool, good answer. <laughs> um, on your Strat, do you want a, a tremolo or you want a hardtail? Give me a trem. All right, it's a Strat. We're going to go do it all the yeah, way. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, twenty-two frets or twenty-four frets? Twenty-four. When you're uh, for a guitar pick, do you prefer a thin, medium, or heavy style pick? Uh, medium. Okay. Uh, if you're tuning to just a standard tuning, no, no drop tunings or lower tunings, do you prefer nines, tens, or elevens? Nines and standard. Yeah. Cool. Wow. All right. Yeah. Um, what are you guys using for the lower tunings? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, oh, man. So we, Drop C, which is our sort of bread and butter six string tuning, 11 to 56 is what I use. Um, and then we have a tuning for six strings that has the six string all the way down to G. So it matches the G that's on the A string. Um, and that I remember using like a 6T in the studio for that six string, just that six string. Um, and for sevens, 10 to 52 with a 64 on the bottom. And then with the eight string, it's just, it's, I think it's Diodario NYXL, whatever their standard eight string set is. Yeah. I'm less picky about that, but yeah. String cool. gauges are a whole thing. Yeah. No, no, I didn't want to, I, if I could go, that could be a whole hour in itself. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, if you were to grab a bass guitar, would you prefer a P bass or a jazz bass? Jazz bass. Okay. Um, if you're grabbing an acoustic, obviously PRS is amazing acoustics, but if you, that was not an option, uh, would you prefer a Martin or a Taylor? So something more vintage or more modern? Uh, Martin. Okay. Uh, when using a tube amp, do you prefer to use the gain within the amp or use a pedal in front of it? Can I not say both? I would say, I would say, I would say within the amp, but oh man. Both is with, okay because you're tightening it up, I'd imagine, with the pedal exactly. in front. So, yeah. But but if the amp can do it all on its own, that's just that's and, and there are some amps. There are some yes. amps uh, that can do that. And when that works, whew, it's it's a good feeling. Yeah. I see. There's one over your shoulder there where I know you can yeah, press dude. the button and it tightens exactly. up quite nicely. Exactly. So <laughs> the Arcon, the Archon is freaking fantastic. But also that PV Invective that uh, that my bandmate Misha developed with PV. That thing is freaking sick too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where did I go? Oh, no. Okay. So for your tubes. Uh, 6LS6 or EL34 or something different? Okay. Uh, this is like a taboo one because it's very polarizing, but a 100-watt amp or a 25-watt amp? Because I know there's this big trend mm. with these lunchbox, you know, yeah. lower-wattage bedroom amps. I would say 100. That's just what I always played growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I have a... I recently got a Saldano SLO 100 
and uh, I can't get it over like one and a half in this room because I'm blowing really? windows out. Yeah, but it's that's how it should be. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Some uh, effect pedal related questions. These are more complicated because all of them are amazing. But if you must choose between delay or reverb, what would you choose? Reverb. Okay. Much more broader applications. Yeah. Good answer. I like it. Um, fuzz or overdrive? So like a fuzz face or a tube screamer? Tube screamer. Overdrive. Yeah. Cool. Phaser or chorus? Chorus. Okay. Because okay. the 80s. That's why. You know, <laughs> both those effects are like not hip at the moment, but no. I love both of them. So it's yeah. like whenever I ask it, some are like, some people are like, neither. I'm like, no, you have to pick one. Come on. Like, <laughs> that's not valid. Jeez. Like, you're off the you show, gonna... man. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, cor chorus, because the minute you, you have a cool, uh, like a, cool clean chorus tone it just sounds like Def leopard sounds like white snake you know that yep. stuff's awesome yep yep and if you want to do any uh aussie stuff i mean you gotta throw yeah. that on right now right exactly um wah pedal or whammy pedal whammy whammy i like that yeah because pantera that's why dude i just bought a uh washburn dime slime uh signature because like it just in high school a buddy of mine had one and i was like that's silly because i was jealous and it just came yeah. today so. oh that's sick. That's sick. <laughs> it's just like it's three. so huge it's such a weird giant body yeah and i'm yeah, a tall yeah. guy but okay yeah. sorry i distract myself um classic rock band related questions beatles or stones beatles cool if it's the beatles is it john or paul uh paul I think Paul too. I th I love John. I think we would argue. I think we might not get along. <laughs> Just because Plus, I... you know, yeah, he he had distractions going on in life, and like Paul, Paul was always just, and and then he did stuff later in his career too, where he 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 didn't, you know, he went down this proggy avenue with some of his later stuff. I don't know, I, Paul, definitely yep. Paul. Bowie or Dylan? Bowie. I agree. Zeppelin or Floyd? Floyd. Dark Side or The Wall? dark side okay pearl jam or nirvana pearl jam oh fuck it's okay pearl i jam. love pearl jam. No. It's pearl jam oh man pearl jam pearl jam i'm a big pearl jam guy and just like in the last six months i fell into this nirvana hole and i'm like oh, i missed it they're pretty cool too <laughs> damn it i've been can, like can shitting on them forever can I substitute either one of those for Alice in Chains? No. See, you know what the funny thing is, is I originally had Pearl Jam Nirvana and then I had Alice or Soundgarden, but I think Alice in Chains shouldn't be fucked with. They're just awesome, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're always the best because they had they had the 80s in their shred style. Like Jerry, Jerry could play like he was an 80s shredder and Lane could sing. But then again, Chris Cornell could sing like he was from the 80s too. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a tough one. But Alice in Chains is at the top. Yeah, I feel like particularly in the band choice section of these questions, the answer is all of them because they all do something incredible. Yeah. And then my final one, which is just, um, there's just two camps here. Is it Hagar or Roth? I mean, Roth, but Roth, it's Roth. But the thing is, is that I think the Hagar years get a lot of sh un undeserved shit from people. Uh, and you go back and listen to some of the songs and they're just great songs. And it's, I, I feel like that band doesn't get enough credit with Hagar at the front of it. You know, it's always yep. this, the, the comparison is what kind of kills it for a lot of people. And they are, are unable to appreciate the Hagar years. Cause I really. think it, 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 it's literally as though they are two separate entities. Yeah. They just happen to have the same three core members with the different yeah. dude up front, but yeah, yeah. Cause they're both great in their own way.
Yeah, yeah sorry, the I music's know. totally different. Yeah, the, it's less guitar driven with Hagar, but the songs are still great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool, man. Those are my questions. Thank you for playing my silly game. <laughs> no, that's fun. I, I want to do more stuff like that. We should just do like five hours of this next time. Oh my god, dude! Like I, I go, I have like a group chat with two guitar player friends, and like we'll just do that to each other all day long. We get nothing accomplished. We're in different places in the country. I'm like this or that. You have to choose. It's like <laughs> F Mary Kill, but like just much cooler. <laughs> dude, thank you so much for your time. I mean, this has just been so cool. Um, I love the music you put out, and and you're just a cool guy. So thank you for your time. I'm sure when this reposts, everyone watching this is gonna get a ton of value out of it. And um, I just thank you so much Dude, thank you rob and again i appreciate your patience and just like waiting for our schedules to line up and you could have easily been like you know what dude just kick rocks like never mind and i'm glad you didn't do that so i yeah. again my sincere thanks to you for having me on awesome man well it's, it's been my pleasure entirely and it was definitely definitely worth the wait so thank you so much and uh check out that record everyone by the time you're seeing this you'll be probably pumping it already but if you check this before void out on march 11th on all streaming platforms um thank you brother i appreciate you thank Be you well. Rob. take care man see ya see ya